You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Helene Wilson. Helene is a New Zealand netball coach. She started coaching in her teens and progressed to coaching the New Zealand secondary schools team to wins over Australia, as well as leading the Northern Zone under-23s to a national title. She went on to work with High Performance Sport New Zealand and was involved in the rugby sevens and hockey teams. And then in 2017, she was appointed coach of the Northern Mystics and in 2021, the team goes on to win the national premiership. In 2022, she was then appointed to a role with High Performance Sport New Zealand to help them grow female coaches and leaders across all sports. Helene has terrific energy and shares a lot of hard-won wisdom on this episode. Just a few of the many highlights for me were the importance of mentors to help you reflect and process the information you are receiving, 
and that if you don't have a process for self-reflecting, then you're not going to grow your awareness around what you're doing as a coach. How a coach doesn't need to be able to do what they're coaching, but they need to be able to understand all the different parts and the dynamics of putting a performance together. And that great coaches are not afraid to admit they've made mistakes as they're not afraid to speak the truth. Helene is an inspiring leader, making a difference in people's lives, and I hope you enjoy this as much as we did. And just before we go to the interview, if you're a first-time listener, you can check out our library of interviews with other great coaches at our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. And now, please enjoy our interview with Helene Wilson. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Helene Wilson, good morning and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to hear an Antipodean accent on the week, of course, where we had Anzac Day this week. So I hope wherever you were, you celebrated or remembered in appropriate style. Yeah, I unfortunately had COVID at the time, so I got to remember at home. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. Well, let's hope that we can move you away from the world of COVID with this interview about all things leadership as it relates to coaching. And Helene, I might just start by potentially just asking you, where are you in the world, if you could tell everybody, and what have you been up to so far today? Yeah, I live in New Zealand, in Auckland, New Zealand, so I'm feeling very grateful to be in a great place to live. Today, I've actually had a day off coaching. Today's my down day, so I've been mentoring some coaches today, which has been fun. That kind of fills up my energy bucket and planning my day for tomorrow. I'm back on court preparing for our team to play on Monday night. Yeah, so right in the middle of competition at the moment. Well, we appreciate you carving some time out for us. And perhaps I'll start actually with great coaches because I know that you've had experience with some pretty big ones across all the sports you've been involved with. And we'll we'll get to those different sports in the interview. But Maybe an easy question to kick us off, Helene. What do you think the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? I think all the great coaches that I've met in my coaching career is you meet individuals who are just really comfortable to be their authentic selves. And what I mean like by that is there's just no kind of cookie cutter method for what is a great coach. So they're really amazing people in their own right. And I think when you observe people who are authentic in themselves, They are not afraid to admit if they've made mistakes. They're not afraid to speak the truth. They bring people in and bring them in to do work together. And I think the other thing that I see in great coaches that I've met is they're really curious. So they're really interested in asking questions and they treat people around them that they meet just as much as an expert as what they are. So they're always learning and curious about what it is that they could do differently to keep improving and being better. Helene, one of your early coaches told you, and I hope I get this quote right, if your legs could do what your brain understands, you'd be awesome. (laughs) Can can you tell us about the context of that quote and perhaps what it meant to you at the time? Yeah, at the time I was still playing netball and I'd had a coach who was very experienced here in New Zealand coaching me and a coach to a high performance level and she'd said that comment I thought, oh, she doesn't think I'm as good a player as what, what I need to be, but... What I think she was saying to me at the time was you think really deeply about what you do and you can play. I could always play all positions on court well or good, but I wasn't great. I didn't have that X factor talent. So when there was a problem or things weren't working, I was that player on court that could adjust and mold 
to bring the team together to play good as a team unit. So what I took away from that, when you reframe a comment that you're not quite sure what it means, what I took away from that is because I understood the game, the tactical nature of the game, I could kind of lend my hand to almost every position on court and I could give it a good go, but not a great go that she was telling me that I had the thinking in the brains and I understood the the parts and how all the bits of the game come together and that I could understand it, but I couldn't always do it. And so that comment kind of led me down the path of coaching because a coach doesn't need to be able to do what they're coaching, but they need to understand all the different parts and the dynamics of putting a performance together. Tell me, in a sport like netball, when you're coaching at a high performance level and it's a representative team, How would you describe the role of the coach? I think you're the conductor of the orchestra, if you want to use that analogy. You've got different departments and different areas of your orchestra. And as a head coach, to get a high-performing team really humming, you need to be able to get all those moving parts or different instruments working in, in unison and harmony. So I really do think a lead coach is a facilitator and your role is to bring the strengths and expertise and value of everybody, all the people in your team together and get us all working together on any given day. Helene, you talk a lot about honesty in your interviews. In the ones that I was researching in preparation for today, I found this quote and I'd like to read it to you before I frame the question if I could. And you say, if you shy away from the tough, honest conversation with yourself, you will struggle to step up to the next level. And it really got me thinking, do you have any specific questions or frameworks that people listening could use to have better conversations with themselves? Yeah, I think, first of all, you've got to self-reflect as a coach. So that's a skill. And if you don't have a process for self-reflecting, then you're not going to grow your awareness around what you're doing as a coach or could you be doing things better But you've got to be careful that self-reflection isn't ruminating. So you're not just sitting on things and overthinking things because that's not healthy either. So I always think to myself, what have I done in practice today? Why have I done it? What's working? What's not? So I have a process where I'm going over those things. And what have I noticed? Which is a really powerful question. And what could I do differently? When I think about those questions and when you, you reflect in that way, It might pose some more questions to you, but they're questions that you can put to your group or the people that are around you, and then you can lever off the support and expertise you have to be better. If you're having a critical conversation or a difficult conversation with someone else rather than yourself, I've always thought, what's the stance that I need to take? So you can take a stance of advocating what you need to discuss in an honest or critical conversation, but you can also take the stance of inquiry and inquiring with questions and questions are a great way to get people on the same level as you. So depending on what the outcome of what you're reflecting on yourself, what your contribution was to the situation, and then how you need to engage with someone else, you need to be really careful about the stance that you take to just bring that critical conversation and honest conversation to the forefront I think as human beings as well, action learning, I'm a great advocate for the action learning cycle. So you have to do something first and you have to reflect on it. You have to figure out what worked, what didn't, what did I notice? And then you need to just tweak it a bit and go back out and give it another try. But within that action learning cycle, you also have to make sure you're getting quality feedback. And the quality feedback 
comes from the critical conversations that you have with the people around you. And critical conversations have robustness to them. They're not just telling you what you want to hear. They don't always sound nice or feel good. But if you have a mutual respect and trust within in what you do, I think that active learning process is really critical. Helene, I have another good quote from you where you say, everyone hits a ceiling at some point in time when talent isn't good enough. This is when you need to kick into self-reflective thinking, work hard and really look at yourself and your contribution to be better. And you've just referenced a lot of that thinking in your last answer, but I wanted to take it a step further and ask, could you share a story that illustrates how you've applied this thinking, this philosophy on self-reflection to your own development? Yeah, I guess if I go back to my 2019 season with the Northern Mystics and the ANZ Championships here in New Zealand, we were the Wooden Spoon team. It was a nightmare season in so many ways. We had three silver ferns in the team at the time and two of them I had lost to injury. We had late, we had new people coming into the team, different dynamics. So the season was quite disjointed for lots of different reasons, which as a coach, you can kind of make an excuse if you want to and blame. We didn't have the cattle to win the competition that year, but maybe we did. And maybe I just didn't put the program together or something happened throughout the year. So at the end of that year, the, the self-reflection was massive. And the first thing I think with that process, when you are uh, coming out of a not good results, you have to go back and make sure you get the right people around you that you are self-reflecting through feedback that you get. So the process that we took at the end of that year was the external feedback from the team and the players, but there was also feedback from someone independent as well. And then I made sure I had a mentor that when I reflected on all that information, I could sit down with them and kind of process it. So that rather than getting consumed with the small things that happen and lots of the bad things that happen in a bad year, I could take the key rocks out of that year to try and learn from it and put it into the next year. So that learning from that year was the key information that I took forward in my planning, in my communication with my team, with the way we recruited the team the next year. And it set us on a pathway, a trajectory of improvement and learning. So I think when I self-reflect, I always have that kind of quote in my mind, if it's a quote, I'm not sure if this is exactly right, that for learning to occur, you have to be open to mistakes. And I think I made massive mistakes in 2019 as a head coach in critical moments, I could have made a different decision. But what did I notice about the decisions that I made? What did I notice about the quality conversations that I had at the times when we were under pressure? And those were the things that drove the planning to do things slightly different the next year. Well, you're being quite modest because, of course, in 2021, the team go on to win the championship. And I guess it was that 2019 experience that fueled that result. But that 2021 premiership was the first in the 14-year history of the, the Mystics franchise. Was there anything different off the court that season or even on the court that drove this loop? You talk about action learning. So you went from learning in 2019 and then you get this great result, but what changed? What was the manifestation of that reflection? Yeah, I think 2021 result was built from 2019. So it took two years to get the fruits of the learnings from 2019. And I think when you do lose or you hit the bottom, 
it really drives your learning. So I think there was a system shift and a system build within how we did things. And we noted that we learned the difference that we wanted to make, both the management and the players, uh, was how do we drive our culture from into a performance, a high-performance culture, and what does that look like? And culture is this word that's bandied around in sport a lot, but the reality is, is the culture is simply the behaviours of the people who own, own and are part of the team. So we decided we really worked hard in 2021. What was the collective vision of the behaviours that were going to drive us to be high-performing athletes and a high-performing team for the season. But what the work I did with my captain and my management team was the processes that were required on a weekly, daily basis to get us there. So I think that was a major shift in 2021, but we had done some learning in 2019 and 2020 to get there. And the other big thing that we did for 2021 was we looked at what was our greatest resource? A simple question. If you were going to put all your eggs in one basket, what was the basket that you were going to really invest in? And we decided that it was our people. And people are our greatest resource because you hear everybody. We always want more money. We want more resources. You always need more, more, more and high performance to get the result that you want. But really, when you can't turn to those things, your people are your greatest resource. So I made a conscious decision to change our coaching structure in 2021. And I think I brought another coach into the structure. We had key roles in terms of skill set, in terms of leading the high performance vision that we had for the team, but also if we added another coach into what was it, the individual development that we needed of the athletes across our whole club. And I think the fact that We aligned what our game style looked like and we had three coaches across our system to really invest in that. And we did that with our player leadership. That alignment between the player leadership and the coaching staff really drove that culture and that performance piece that we were after. So that was a really cool piece of work. And I think the thing that I'm really proud of to get us to that place is that everyone in our management and the player leadership within our group all hands on and developing what that looked like and so we were all felt like we were valued in in something new and exciting that we did. So that whole idea of alignment a new coach player leadership this is a broad group now we're talking about and maybe six seven eight people what did you learn about aligning people to a vision and behaviors through that process? Yeah I think the key thing is when you're trying to learn align people to a vision they've got to be a part of the vision they've got to understand What is the vision and what does that mean? And you need robust discussion and time together to really be clear on what that means. And then the next question you need to ask yourself, well, what is everybody's role within that? Because as you say, a group of seven or eight people are really hard to coordinate. Like you've got to work in almost mini teams to get the group functioning. But if if a mini team knows what their role is and this is my job to add to that vision and this is how I'm going to add value then magical things happen. But my role as the leader in all of that is every little mini team that we had to get on board into that vision, I had to keep connecting all the dots and making sure that everybody understood where the changes were, where the shifts were, when we were going a bit off track and maybe swimming out of our lane a little bit and we needed to get back in on a track. And my job was just keep going back to the big plan, going back to the vision and re-anchoring people in 
what have we said before? What have we agreed that we've wanted to do so that we're really being accountable to staying true to what we had decided when we all got together at the right at the very beginning? Helene, you talked also about behaviours in your answer there. Did you articulate them? And if so, would you be happy to share them? Yeah, I don't think I'm not an advocate for rules to get the right behaviours because we're human and we make rules and then rules are made to be broken. So we didn't have rules, but what we did had is we had basic principles of how we wanted to function as a team. And I'll give you an example. So a principle is if we're going to talk about someone in our team, they're going to be in the room. So that principle really encourages direct conversations. So if I'm a player and I might not be very happy with how my strength in my gym session went that year, that week. I'm not going to go and talk to another player about that gym session, but I'm going to talk directly to the SNC and talk to him about what I need or what I'm feeling. And so the direct conversations happen. And when direct conversations happen, that's where the magic happens and we can all get on the same page. So those sort of when you have principles and those principles drives the expectation of behavior and those principles are really, really sound and everyone knows what they are. When people do things that are outside of what you've agreed, you can reference back to that principle of what you expect. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Helene, you've worked as an advisor at High Performance Sport for New Zealand and you've been there for a while now, and you've been involved in rugby sevens and the hockey teams as well. What have you discovered through that environment or that role? What have you discovered about the building blocks of high-performing teams? When you're in a high-performing team, I think anything can be chucked at you and it doesn't sway you off knowing the standard required to win because high-performance is about winning. And effectively, high-performance, the role of anyone in a high-performance environment is outlearning your opposition. You're on a timeline. Timeline doesn't change. Your job is to outlearn your opposition and get the performance at the standard required to win. That's what you're trying to do. High-performing teams have a group of experts, but they come together and collaborate and approach making it happen in a coordinated way. And I think every high-performance environment I've been in, it's a learning-rich environment. It's a curious environment. I think people are really clear on their role as a leader and what their role is. And the athletes and the staff are all on the same page working towards a coordinated outcome or goal. A culture and that culture of working together are super, super important. And I think high-performing teams have different mechanisms to have everybody's voice heard. 
so that while you may not do exactly what you think should be done, you have the opportunity to understand the difference between what agreement is and what alignment is to get to where you need to go. So there's always that alignment there to get to the standard of performance that's required. Helene, in this interview, you've talked a few times about, you've used the word robust, you've used the word direct when it comes to conversations. Was there a person or event in your life that sharpened your appreciation for this type of communication? Oh, absolutely. And I definitely, hands down, would thank my mentor, Lynn Gunson, who is a master, I consider her to be a master coach. She's coached the Silver Ferns here in New Zealand. She's coached England Netball and she works as a coaching consultant for High Performance Sport New Zealand. I was lucky to meet her about 15 years ago and I remember my first interaction with her. I had applied for a New Zealand secondary school coaching role and the applications, they let me know the applications had, they decided to reopen them up and and put applications out. And obviously when that happens to you, you kind of think, oh, I'm obviously not good enough kind of thing. And I said it to her very naively at the time. And, and I remember her turning around and saying to me, you're not good enough, but why is that? And that's a really direct, what is it? And it made me go away and think, oh, I went, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, like I'm not good enough because you kind of ego the ego gets a bit bruised when you miss out on a role or you think you should get it and you don't. And I think the fact that she asked me that question made me curious at the time. And I can remember multiple times as a mentor, she's supported me when I've needed her to support me, when I've been really challenged and vulnerable as a coach, but when I've needed to be challenged because I'm making excuses or not really seeing the wood between the trees, she's really challenged me to look at myself first and think, did I do the best job to prepare the athletes? Because at the end of the day, the way the athletes perform are a reflection of the orchestration of everything that you're doing as a head coach. So you can't change everybody and win everything all the time, but you can leave it growing, learning, success, and shift in performance at all times as a coach, if you're aware and noticing what you're doing. So I'm very grateful for her for the robust conversations she's had with me. And there's been many of them over the years to help me be a better coach. But Helene, maybe take a sidestep actually, because in 2021, your captain for that season was Sulu Fitzpatrick. And she's obviously a great leader in her own right. And it's been much written about her, but I would like to ask you, what qualities do you look for when you're choosing a captain? I quite strongly think a captain's not a position. It's rather a disposition. Like what are the, it's about the person. So if they see it as a position, that would be a red flag for me. So I look for the person and their disposition that they think it's a service. I really like service leadership and the concept of that. And what I mean by that is when you're in leadership, you need to have a capacity to understand other people's worldviews and how can you best serve the nature of the collective, the whole group to function. And I think anyone in a leadership position and particularly a captain, they need to understand that their behaviours, their actions, their role of being a leader needs to be seen in their behaviours, what we're after. So obviously you always look at that in a person. So what are they doing? How do they behave? How do they act? Role model behaviour, like people talk about being role models, but I'm not talking about role models in the sense of being role models for young netballers. I'm talking about a role model that the high performance behaviours that we expect 
of them to perform at their very best, the captain is a role model for their peers in that space. So that's really, really important. And to start with that, by doing that, they can then, and they've got those things down pat, they can then be a service to the people around them. So I think that service looks like being a really strong communicator. You're prepared to serve the coach as much as you're prepared to serve the players. So you're prepared to give up your time and do those extra things, the work behind the scenes that no one else sees that enables the group to function really, really effectively. And to be able to be that person, you have to be prepared to have robust conversations with the coach. You need to sit together, aligned in a space where the respect is mutual for the worldview that you bring to the table because Salute's view, when she brings things to the table, is different to mine, but I value that. So you've got to be confident enough to bring a different worldview to the table. And then I always wonder and think about what influence can that person bring for the good of the team? And that's another serving quality. So when Salute talks, our players listen. They listen because there's a deep respect for who she is as a person. And so she's got influence over the group and she's got influence over me as well. And because I do respect her worldview. So those robust conversations I keep talking about, when you have those conversations with someone, when you have mutual respect, it brings trust. So you trust the worldview that they're bringing, brings things to think about. You can discuss every view that you have, and then you can understand multiple perspectives and get alignment of what's the best thing for the collective to move forward. And so I really think a captain plays that role of the person in between the management and the playing group a little bit. They are the person that understands both sides of the stories most of the time. They're not the go-between. That's not their role. But they can support the players and influence the players in the athlete group to step up and lead themselves. And that's the way I think that they should serve the team. Helene, I, I have another great quote from you, and I'd like to read it if I could before I phrase the question. You say, I have a responsibility to grow the players that I work with to increase their skill capacity, their physical movement competency, and their understanding of the game. But for me, it's more than that. Although my vehicle is netball, I'm there to grow them as people across the board. It's a lovely quote, and I think it really talks to your central philosophy as a coach and as a leader. But I wanted to flip the question around a little bit, actually, and ask you, have you ever received any resistance from your athletes when it comes to helping them grow as a person? Because I imagine for some people, there is a line and they do like to hold some of themselves back. 100%. And I've had heaps of resistance. And I'm sure there's athletes around, if they were listening to this podcast, would go, oh, Helene, you know, like pushing the boundaries. And there has been resistance. And I think when you want to grow a person you need to get permission to go on that journey with them. And sport's a great vehicle for us all to grow. And often a coach and an athlete are on a parallel journey of growth the whole time. So I think athletes that tend to come into my realm of my team and enjoy being on my team understand that learning's a massive part and as a person is first and foremost. I think when there is resistance to growing as a person, We have to just self-check ourselves. Is our ego getting in our way? Because often when we don't want to go into that space, our ego might be protecting us from something. So 
resistance comes maybe where there is a lack of understanding or self-awareness. So how do I get people to open up to a different viewpoint, understand that there's multiple ways of looking at things? And I think there's many like sort of tricks of the trade you can try and do that, but you do need to build a relationship with the person first. So there's a level of trust before you go into that, growing them as a person space. But I think one of the tricks of the trade as a coach, after years of coaching and trying to drive people to be better people, you can anticipate where things are going to go potentially when you see maybe a red flag in your environment. And so you might be able to frame up some of those conversations with this may happen in the future, but let's go on a learning journey together to figure out this. And so you can try and frame it so that ego or fear part of resistance doesn't get in the way. The other thing I often do is when we're growing as people, if we understand the process of learning and what that looks like, you're more prepared to go into the space of being a little bit unsure feeling a little bit vulnerable. So I often say there's a really easy sort of model, a simple, complex, simple. And sometimes when we think things are simple and we don't want to grow as a person, it's because we don't know enough about it. But if we're prepared to jump over into the complex space and go into the learning space where things feel uncertain, things feel hard, we're being pushed or poked a little bit, And then you go into that complex space and you're prepared to sit in that space with a coach. You can then come out at the other side with a simple understanding of things again, because the learning experience and the actual doing of those complex things and going through some of those hard uh, conversations where you are poked to be, to grow as a person, you just got, and you know what to do next. The other thing is to grow as a person, you've got to go into what I call the learning pit. You've got to go into the pit. You've got to go into the space where things are hard, things are difficult. It takes 90 days to change a habit. So if you're in a bad habit as a person, you've got to go in the learning pit of doing something slightly differently for 90 days to try and get out of that bad habit or that habit that isn't helping you be your best self. So Sometimes when you can use some of these sort of models to sort of explain, this is what's going to happen. Are you prepared to go on this journey with me? You can get acceptance and then you've got a reference point to go back to when you hit the resistance to try and get people to kind of go, okay, okay, I'll just sit in it. And then you make sure you give them lots of positive feedback along that journey. So when you see a small shift, only needs to be a small shift, you let them know you've seen it. And then a light bulb might go off at some point and they go, hey, I'm getting somewhere. And then they're hooked into the change. Helene, if I could take you back and introduce you to that third form girl who was coaching for the <laughs> first time, knowing what you know now, what would you say to her? I definitely would say coaching isn't about you. You're not the center of attention and you're not the oracle of all information that stands up the front and tells everybody what to do. And I think every coach, if they were going to be really honest with themselves, quite often we get into coaching because we are comfortable being up the front and being in control of things. Coaching isn't about having control, even though a lot of us like to be in control. It's having some control and having been prepared to sometimes lead from behind and let people discover what they can do, what their potential is. I think I would tell myself to be curious and not to be scared of what people think of me and not to be scared if I'm doing something wrong. Keep being curious and being interested in 
giving things a go and being innovative about what my thoughts are, even if they're different to what someone else has told me what to do or what I've seen someone else to do. And I think the third thing I'd say to myself is you don't have to know everything because you never know everything. And I know that now as a coach, you don't know everything and you never will. So suck and use the information and the thinking from all the wonderful people you have around you to help you so that you're not alone on a journey on your own. Helene, when you were appointed as the Mystics coach, the chief executive, Julia Patterson, said, Helene's appointment presents a huge opportunity to link the whole Northern Zone together in a program that creates a netball legacy for our area. No pressure, I guess, when you hear the word legacy come out. But I did want to finish by asking you, in the distant, distant future, when you do hang up the whistle, what's the legacy you hope you've left as a coach? I always think a legacy for me is that the environment I go into is stronger when I leave. It keeps getting better when I'm not there and I've left it in a better place than when I found it. And what I mean by that is, It's really important to have a sustainable system that keeps creating great coaches, great athletes who want to be at the Mystics. So when I leave the Mystics, you know, people want to be at the Mystics because it's a great club to be at. And I think success would look like I've left and we're still a successful club because there's people from the Northern Zone wanting to represent the Northern Zone. They want to play for the Mystics because it's the best club to be for. It's got a great culture. It's got great people. And so that's as simple as it is. So legacy isn't necessarily about winning year on year on year, but it's about having new people, new blood, who keep coming in and keep wanting to come in. And success means that every two or three years, you may win the premiership. So hopefully we've started that win in 2021 and we will keep successfully bringing people in and becoming part of our club community so that when I step away, the engine room just keeps on churning and keeps producing success. Can I challenge you on that? Mm -hmm. We haven't met before today, but I feel like I, I know you through researching and listening to your answers today. I think there's something in there around direct conversations matched with you talk a lot about learning and curiosity. I think, I think it's going to ignite something in people. And I, it's just a guess, but I think in the future they might come back and reference these two things when they talk to you, if they're not already doing that, because mm-hmm. I know you've been coaching for a while now too. So I don't know how that sits with you, but I think there's something around elite level honesty and curiosity that really uh, sets you apart. Oh, thank you very much. And honesty is a really tough one. We talk about a lot in high performance sport. And I can be bluntly honest to you, Paul, and say something, but it might not be very good for you at the end of the day. So what does honesty really mean in high performance? I think it is bringing your thoughts to the table as a person and bringing multiple people to the table in your thoughts with honesty so the conversation and the curiosity and all the thinking is out on the table together But at the end of the day, are we listening? Are we listening to what's been said? And is what being said planting a seed of curiosity that may take you on a slightly different path, but that path with all of those multiple points of reference from the thinking may take you somewhere that you never knew was possible. And I guess that's what I really enjoy about being involved in sport is there's some great people, great minds. And if you bring them all together and honestly put your thoughts down on the table together, magical things can happen. Well, I think honesty, curiosity, and 
magic is probably a great place to finish. So, Helene, thank you so much for your time today. I've loved this interview and I thank you again for agreeing to do it. No worries. Thank you for having me. And it's been fun talking to you. Yeah. Hi, everyone. It's Mike here. And you've been listening to the great coach, Helene Wilson. Some of the key highlights for me were how she wants to leave a legacy, where after she leaves, the team environment keeps getting stronger. How when you're in a high-performing team, anything can be chucked at you, and it doesn't sway you off knowing the standard required to win. How when you're trying to align people to a vision, they've got to be part of that vision. And the importance of alignment between player leadership and the coaching staff when it comes to driving culture. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And just before you go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Grant who said, this is such a creative idea, very well researched and delivered. Thanks Grant. The interaction with people around the world who listen gives us great energy. And so if you have any feedback or comments, please let us know. And all the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.